All right, as we, as we get started with class this morning, um, can you hear me? Uh, if you didn't get one of these sheets on the way in, go ahead and grab one. They're uh, right, they're both, both doors has a little stack of them on a stool. <coughs> We've got lots of handouts today. The other ones will come later. I've learned the hard way not to hand out the good handouts till near the end of class or else no one listens to me. Um, so we'll get to this in a minute, but make sure you go ahead and grab one of these and thank, thank you, for Christy, for passing those out. Um, let's start with a prayer before we get going in class today. Holy and mighty God, thank you for giving us this family. Thank you for giving us the time that we have today to focus on very important relationships of marriage, and I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds, help us to see the things from your word and from other people on this planet that you've gifted to, to know how to handle these kinds of things. I pray that the things that I, that I teach will help people in here grow closer to each other and closer to you. And I pray that all of us will improve our ability to serve one another and to show the, show the sacrificial love that Christ showed to us and shows to us every day. Thank you so much. In your son's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> okay. So this, is, this will be the last week of our uh, four-week interlude on marriage. <coughs> um, if I, if you weren't here, I I didn't memorize everybody who was here or not. So if you weren't here, the first couple weeks, um, Jeff kind of focused on um, marriage from a biblical view, like God's God's perspective on marriage, spiritual view of, of things. And yet, last weekend today, we're uh, focusing more on very practical, applicable things about improving your marriage and keeping keeping things going. So we're going to continue with that today, and then. Um, Next week, the class in here will be taught by uh, Jim Whitfield. It's going to be um, on studies in Isaiah, different topics and aspects of Isaiah. And in, in the basement, Gary Richards is going to be teaching a class, uh, on a study through Romans. What's it called again? God's Gift of Righteousness. God's Gift of Righteousness. And so um, that, that'll be um, next week. So I want to start out with a, a bit of a story. Um. So there's a couple who live somewhere in my neighborhood. I don't, I probably should know them. But it's a big neighborhood, okay? Give me a break. Um, they're maybe in their 60s, and every morning they take a walk together. And I see them go past my house as I'm getting ready for work, and as I ride my bike out of the neighborhood, the, the husband always waves at me and smiles, and kind of in recognition, you know? And because I always kind of tend to hit them at the same spot every, every morning. Um, and I noticed them about five years ago, shortly after we moved into our house. They always walked next to each other and chatted. They always looked like they were enjoying themselves, and I always thought it was so super sweet to see this couple walking every morning together. But over the years, I've noticed something kind of sad. Uh, every once in a while, I, saw, I noticed that the woman was walking five to ten feet in front of her husband, and he was just kind of further back. 
And the, the next day, they'd be walking back together again. And I, I kind of joked with Chrissy, like, oh, she must have, he must have gotten in trouble, you know. And, but then the, the distance kept expanding and expanding and expanding. Last week, I saw them walking, and, and now I never see them walking together anymore at all. And, like, last week, I saw her about 100 yards down the road, and <laughs> way back for, far away. And I, I don't know what's going on in their marriage. I'm probably a horrible person for spying on them for five years like this. But, um, and I don't know them, what's going on. She maybe just wants a faster walk, more of a workout, who knows. But the thing is, they no longer laugh at each other's jokes and they no longer chat because they're so far apart. And whatever's going on in their actual lives, I, like I said, I don't know, but it's kind of a, I see it kind of as a parable for my life as far as kind of a cautionary tale. Um, I, for all of those, who, of those of us who are in a marriage relationship, to not get further and further and further apart until you're at the point where you can't hear each other speak anymore because you're so far apart. And today as we wrap up this class, I want to make sure that about, we'll be talking about how to make sure we keep walking together in our marriages and if you're if you are walking together, how to keep doing that, and um, and how and if you're not, uh, I've got some practical things today to talk about about how to make those morning walks less lonely. Um, but first, I briefly want to review. I guess as a, as a reminder, um, we're using this. I'm using this book for much of the content for last week and today. Seven principles for making marriage work by John Gottman. Um, like, like it says on the screen, I went over this last week, but the, the data that he's, the, that he's gathered through his research, he's been able to really highly predict divorce rates long, long into the future. And the best thing, though, is that using these techniques and these tools, it's a huge, huge success rate in repairing marriages. And that's nothing to sneeze at because um, traditional marriage therapy is around 20%. So... This is much, much better. Um, but last week we talked about the, the four horsemen of the marriage apocalypse. And that's what the, the sheet that I, that I have for you guys um, at, the, at the doors kind of is a, a reminder of. And I, I promised that I'd go over the, the antidotes to what these are. And I downloaded this from the, from, it's Gottman, Gottman.com. If you want to go to the website, there's lots of more uh, resources and blog posts and information and stuff like this. Um, but real briefly, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are behaviors that, if, when they keep showing up, they kind of herald the death of a marriage. So these, these are things that are in probably all of our conversations in our marriages once in a while. But the key is that we don't want these things popping up as, as a habit. This is not something that we want to minimize the amount of times these uh, arise in our lives. Um, so criticism is turning a legitimate complaint into a personal attack. Um, con- contempt is treating your spouse like a child or talking down to them with an attitude of moral superiority, like I'm better than you. Def- defensiveness is reacting by- to an attack by blaming your spouse in return. Uh, and stonewalling is checking out of a situation in an attempt to protect yourself from the pain or feeling emotionally flooded. 
and varieties of those are on the page as well as the descriptions. So the antidotes to these, um, and then we'll get into some of these seven principles. The antidote to criticism um, <coughs> is what he refers to as a gentle startup. So if you have a complaint in your, in your marriage, which you're going to have complaints because we are people and we have complaints about things that happen, start up that complaint gently instead of like, making it an attack thing, which, which a criticism is very much attack-based, um, start up with a, a complaint without the blame and using a soft startup to start it out. Like, for example, criticism. You always talk about yourself. Why are you always so selfish? Antidote, same, saying the same thing, but in a nice, nice way. You could say, I'm feeling left out of our talk tonight. I need to vent. Can we please talk about my day? And so, to put it simply, it's think of these two things before you complain. What do I feel about the situation? What do I need? And explaining those two things helps a lot. Um, The antidote to contempt in a conversation um, is not quite so easy because contempt, as I said last week, is the number one predictor of divorce because it's, it's, it's the thing that over time kind of eats away at things. And it, it shows that I feel like I'm better than you and maybe you're not worthy of me. So um, the, it, it, it requires building a culture of appreciation and respect. So it's not, it's not just like you can change the, the sentence, but you've got to change the culture of your marriage and have much more appreciation and respect for, for someone. So it's, it's all these small things. Regularly expressing appreciation, gratitude, affection, and respect for your partner. Small things often. Um, Gottman says in, some of his, in another one of his books, I think, he says that um, marriage is not one big thing. It's a million little things. And, and, and that's what this comes down to. So saying things like, you forgot to load the dishwasher again. Ugh, you're so incredibly lazy. And you can hear the eye roll, like, um, or, or you could say, I understand you've been busy lately, but could you please remember to load the dishwasher when I work late? I'd really appreciate it. And notice this, that example has a respectful request, and it ends with a statement of appreciation. So it's, I, I appreciate the time that I want you to put into this, I'm not just wanting you to do a chore for me and how, how in the world can you not do this thing, but it, it shows that you respect and love them. So the def- antidote to defensiveness is taking responsibility. This one can be hard to do, especially in the moment when you're feeling attacked and what you want to say is, it's not my problem, you're, you're the one who blah, blah, whatever, fill in the blank. But defensiveness never solves the problem. And that's what we're trying to get to is handling the situation at hand. It, this only escalates it. It's, respond, it's an attack back on the attack toward you. And so we, what we need to do is try to defuse the situation by accepting responsibility, even if only for part of the conflict. So defensiveness sounds like, it's not my fault if we're going to be late. It's your fault since you, you always get dressed at the last second. Said no man ever, Right? Uh-huh. Um, the, or you could say, 
I don't like being late, but you're right. We don't always have to leave so early. I can be a little more flexible. So there are always two sides to a situation. When there's a blow-up or whatever, there are always two sides. Sometimes you have to look hard to find the second side because you're so convinced that you are holy and righteous in what you're doing and saying. So, but but it, this come, this is where some of this godly humility comes into things, Christ-like humility, and look at look at things like, you know, I may, I may not have all this figured out. I may be doing everything right. So, uh, I, I maybe have something that I can change about myself a little bit. So, compromising. So, the antidote, antidote to stonewalling is. Um, Literally, it's, it's, it's physiological self-soothing. And what that means is, so as a reminder, stonewalling is one, one partner is typically yelling or mad, upset, whatever. They're kind of attacking the other person. And the other spouse feels all this attack. They're feeling emotionally flooded. They're feeling like they, they're in a corner they can't get out, so they just emotionally shut down and they turn off. Although they look calm, their heart rate is spiked, their blood pressure is high. They're very, very agitated. So both sides are agitated in this, at this, in this scenario. And what you want to do is calm that down because you cannot, like physiologically, you cannot think straight when your brain is mad and angry and ramped up like this. So you need to literally take a break from the situation. Once again, not easy to do, especially, Christy knows this about me, when, when I want to finish a discussion, I want to finish the discussion. We're not done talking about this. And she's like, I need to take a break. I'm like, no, we're not taking a break. <laughs> you know, I want to, we're, we're going to get this done now. And so literally go to another room for at least 20 minutes. And that, that's about as long as it takes to really calm things down, calm your brain down, your heart rate. And so both of you can come back together and talk about it. So if spouse one's like, look, we've been through this over and over again. I'm tired of reminding you, whatever, whatever. The spouse two says, honey, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm feeling overwhelmed and I need to take a break. Can you give me 20 minutes and then we can talk? The response is probably going to be, hey, what do you think you're taking a break? But that's what, not what you need to respond with. You need to respond with, fine, whatever. <laughs> and, and then take that break and then come back. You don't have to say that, but that's probably what you will say. Um, then come back and, and try it again. So hopefully those things help. Um, once again, highly recommend reading the book. Uh, Chrissy checked it out, uh, checked online. There's lots of them available at the library, as well as digitally through uh, Hoopla. You can get the audio or the the uh, the ebook version. Um, and we, I've ordered several for for the, to put on the bookshelf out in the hallway, but they're not quite in yet. So uh, if if you having a hard time getting a hold of one, let me know and we'll we'll order one. We we can easily do that. And all these things are in here. So those are things that don't work. We know what doesn't work. Um, he, he also talks about other things that don't work, such as hoping it'll all get better. Not going to work. Um, waiting for things to improve. Thinking it's a phase. Just thinking, hoping that if I, if I just hope enough and just think about it enough, it'll just change. That's not going to happen. Um, another thing that I thought was fascinating that, that they found out in their research does not work 
which I was always ta- taught, even in my counseling classes in college, like this is how to hand, how to do marital counseling, uh, like the uh, active listening counseling does not work. The the typical thing that you hear of, like spouse one says, I feel this and this and this, and spouse two says, I hear that you feel like this, and then you repeat back. It's like, okay, I'm not saying that we can't all use that kind of thing. That's helpful. But that doesn't solve marriage problems. And it kind of comes stems from the, the mistaken belief that solving, a mar- solving your marriage, solving a bad marriage or improving a, b- a bad marriage is only, all comes down to just solving conflicts, teaching conflict resolution, helping you fight better or whatever. Um, it's, but it's also how we interact when we're not fighting, when we don't have these issues and problems. So the good thing is he has a lot of stuff in this book. That's seven principles, actually, believe it or not, in this book about what does work. And that's really how they started doing a lot of their research is trying to figure out, like I said, they, they videoed hundreds and hundreds of couples, um, good and bad and, and in the middle, and watched like the behaviors that they had when things went well instead of just trying to figure out how to stop the bad, like how to encourage the good. And so... He's discovered something rather fascinating, which, if you read the Bible, you're not going to be too surprised. Um, There's a lot of trust, friendship, and humility that needs to be involved in all marriages. And those three things are are key. And the way way he kind of approaches it is, um, it says that at the heart of the seven principles approach is the simple truth that happy marriages are based on deep friendship a mutual respect for and enjoyment of each other's company. So if you want to have a good friend, a good marriage, you need to be friends with your spouse. This may seem like a no-brainer <laughs> to some of you. This may seem weird to some of you, like, well, my friends are the guys that I go watch football with, you know, or whatever. But, um, but if you want to have a... If people who are happily married like to be around each other. Is that really hard to understand? Okay. That, that should be easy to understand. If they didn't like to be around each other, and if they weren't friend, friends together, they wouldn't be happily married. They may be married, but like I talked about last week, I think God wants, us, wants way more for us than just to be married and stick together. He wants a good marriage and to have a strong relationship together. <clears throat> just like... Our, the, the church's relationship with Christ. We're not just supposed to stick together. We're supposed to have a good relationship with, with our God. <clears throat> Another quote from, his, from the book, he says, Happily married couples aren't smarter, richer, or more psychologically astute than others. But in their day-to-day lives, they've hit upon a dynamic that keeps their negative thoughts and feelings about each other from overwhelming their positive ones. Rather than creating a climate of disagreement and resistance, they embrace each other's needs. When addressing a partner's request, their motto tends to be a helpful yes and rather than yes but. This positive attitude not only allows them to maintain but also to increase the sense of romance, play, fun, adventure, and learning together that are at the heart of any long-lasting love affair. They have what I call an emotionally intelligent marriage. Anybody ever taken an improv class? Probably don't want to admit it. I haven't, but I've heard things. So 
in an, when you take an improv class, like an acting improv class, like rule number one of improv is is yes and. So if someone, like in an improv class, you don't know what the person's going to say to you next. So the rule is yes and. You don't, like they come in the world like, oh, I just got dropped off by a bunch of aliens. That was amazing. And you don't say, that's weird. Why are you in this ship? You say, oh, wow, that's amazing. Tell me more. So it's not that you need to do like improv classes with your spouse. That may or may not be a good idea. But um, it just made me think of that with his saying yes and instead of a yes but. When, when you, your partner needs help and your spouse needs help or attention or whatever, focus on this yes and what else can I do for you? Not, yeah, but I'm kind of busy over here. So it's one of those million little things along the way. So although this, this idea of a friendship together is a simple thing, it's not an easy thing always for some people. So to that end, that's what these seven principles are to help us get toward. And what they've identified is that every single couple, no matter whether, whether or not they realize they're doing it, if you have a happy marriage, you are doing these things most of the time. And so I'll, I'll go through... Um, I think I'm going to have time to go through one of these in depth today. But instead of going through all seven, like just one sentence a piece, I kind of just chose to, I'll do the first one in depth. And then um, I'll let you guys dive further into the book yourselves. Because honestly, the, 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 the wonderful thing about this book is the, the great exercises and the, the quizzes and the, the, te- the things like that in it. Just hearing somebody talk about it all day long is not going to be what you need. But um, So the first one is enhancing your love maps. I'll explain what that means. Nurture your fondness and admiration for each other. Turn toward each other instead of away. I'll explain what that means. Let your partner influence you. Solve your solvable problems. He talks about how there are some problems that are solvable and some that are in your marriage that are not going to be solvable. But learning how to deal with those is, uh, is what overcoming gridlock is. How to deal with the things that you can't solve. And creating shared meaning. And if you, if you look at the first, the first three are kind of about friendship and loving each other. The second three, four through six, are they're kind of about being humble and giving in and serving your partner. And then the seventh is the one that was so important that, we, that Jeff mentioned in the, both weeks he was talking about having a, sh- a shared meaning, a purpose together. And that the book on marriage by Francis Chan that I mentioned last week focuses on that a lot. So, the uh, the first of the the uh, so I'm gonna, like I said I'm going to hit this one uh, in depth today, but he says that the first three principles are really the foundation of the whole thing. Like you're not going to get get to the point where you have a shared meaning together if you don't like being around each other, right? So let's start at the point where we want to make sure that we like being around each other. Um, hopefully, that hopefully you're there, but not everybody is. Um, sorry, we parched this morning. So I'm going to start with this within a case study, an example from one of the extreme extreme example of the bad side of having a bad love map. And like I said, I'll explain what love maps are in a second. Rory was a pediatrician 
who ran an intensive care unit for babies. He was beloved at the hospital, where everybody called him Dr. Rory. And he was a reserved man, but capable of great warmth, humor, and charm. Sounds like a great guy. He was also a workaholic who slept in the hospital an average of 20 nights a month. He didn't know the names of his children's friends or even the name of the family dog. When he was asked which room led to the house's back door, he turned to ask his wife, Lisa. His wife was upset over how little she saw of Rory and how emotionally disconnected he seemed to be. She frequently tried to make little gestures to show him she cared, but her attempts just annoyed him. She was left with the sense that he simply didn't value her or their marriage. So, not so good. (laughs) And as bizarre as it sounds, I think there are a lot of married couples out there who have similar complete lack of knowledge of their spouse's world. Um, They fall into this habit of inattention to the details of their spouse's life. Uh, One or both partners may may have only the sketchiest sense of the other's joys, likes, dislikes, fears, or stresses. The husband may love modern art, for example, but his wife couldn't tell you why or who his favorite artist is, and he doesn't remember the name of her friends or the co-worker she fears is constantly trying to undermine her. So, that, And that's what a love map is, is the knowledge you have of your spouse's world outside of you, knowing relevant information about your spouse's life. And for some, some people... For some folks in, in this room, that, that's like second nature because you, you chat about stuff all the time. You know what's going on. You, you love hearing about the, 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 their day or whatever. But for some, some of us, that's not so easy. Um, why do you think this is such... Why, why is this such an important thing to have in your relationship for a, a good marriage? Why is it such a big deal? It's important to know the spouse. Why is it important to know your spouse? Oh, it's important to them. Okay, yes. Yeah, it gives an insight to why they act the way they act or why they do what they do. Yeah, it's good. Chuck?
Right, map is, I think map's the key to understanding this. It's, like you said, a town that you know well, like the town you grew up in, you know how to get around, you know where stuff is, you know where even, like, the, the stuff that's not on a map, you know where it is. And so, for some of the younger folks in here, we used to have maps. <laughs> it's like a piece of paper. It, it's, you'll find it under the Google Maps section of your phone. Um, but ha- knowing what these things, like we're like kind of joking, but we're in the habit now of like we just assume that Google's going to tell us where to go. We don't need to know the map of a town in our head. We just know this. Uh, but knowing a map of your spouse's life, or and I'll, like like Chuck was alluding to, any relationship, parent, child, friends at work, whatever, having a map of this this person's heart in a lot of ways is so so important. Yeah, Chrissy. Yeah, it gives you an intimacy that you can't get otherwise. You know, back to the Christ Church analogy thing. Um, knowing the, why, why do we study Scripture so much? Because we're trying to expand our love map of God in a way. And why do we focus on this this kind of stuff? It's it's, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, Jim. Well, the other thing that, uh, on a map is for a map to be useful to you, you've got to know two things, where you are and where you want to go. And that map, it'll give you different choices to, to get from the beginning to the destination. But you still have to know. So I need to know my spouse. I need to know where we are in our relationship. And I also need to know where do I want to go yeah. in this relationship. And where you're going is important. Begin that journey. Right. I think a lot of times we start out and we have no destination. We don't know where we're going. So we just end up we're traveling wandering, around, but we're not headed in any right. So some examples of what a good love map looks like uh, from the book he, he has. Uh, I, li- I like specific examples for stuff like this, so th- these are good. <clears throat> for example, when she orders him a salad, she knows what kind of dressing he likes. If she works late, he'll think to record her favorite TV show or put it in the Netflix queue, whatever. He could tell you how she's feeling about her boss and exactly how to get to her office from the elevator. He knows that her faith is important to her, but deep down she has doubts and what they are. She knows that he fears being too much like his father and considers himself a free spirit. They know each other's life goals, worries, and hopes. And what it comes down to is without having this kind of a love map, you can't really know your spouse. And if you don't really know someone, how can you truly love them in, in the way that is required in a marriage situation? So what the key, the, what this comes down to is that you know them. To, it, it, this is Steve's words. This means that you know your spouse, and you're also focusing on them instead of yourself. Once again, getting outside of you and focusing on them and making them important in your life. And couples, this is not surprising, couples who have detailed love maps 
are much, much better equipped to handle the storms of life when they come in. Um, we, all, we all change as we go through the, throughout our lives, every one of us, no matter what happens. But sometimes there are big storms that smack you and hit you hard, and you change quick. And if you are not in the, if you don't know your spouse to begin with, and if you're not in the habit of keeping that map up to date, then it's going to be really, really rough, and things are going to fall apart. Um, some events are bigger than others. Um, getting diagnosed with a degenerative brain disease, for example, pretty big thing. When I got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, that hit us pretty hard. I changed a lot in a lot of ways. Chrissy changed in a lot of ways. But um, before our marriage, uh, before our marriage was great, and I'm thankful that we we have a really we, we did the tests, so. I promise. We have a really good love map. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm not going to say I'm glad I had got Parkinson's disease, but uh, through it, we've, like, we've gotten a lot closer, and our marriage is even stronger than it was before. And I think that's partly because we had this, this strong connection in, a lot, in, throughout that, in that love map. And I think that's a large... Part of it, the large part of it is she's my absolute best friend in the whole world. Um, another ex- a drastic example of life change is having a baby, which some of, some of us in here have experienced that, uh, some very recently. Um, statistically, and this is sad, but statistically it's one of the biggest sources of marital dissatisfaction and divorce. I did not know this. But it's because both new mom and new dad change so much in that situation, and sometimes in unexpected ways, um, that things can get kind of dicey at times. I'm going to read um, a case study from the book showing not only how knowing your spouse, uh, showing how knowing your spouse can help the strain. <clears throat> Maggie and Ken knew each other only a short time when they married and decided to have a family. But what their relationship lacked in longevity, they made up for in intimacy. They were, not, they were in touch, not just the outlines of each other's lives, hobbies, sports, and so on, but with each other's deepest longings, beliefs, and fears. No matter how busy they were, they made each other a priority, always taking time to catch up on each other's day. And at least once a week, they'd go out for dinner and just talk, sometimes about politics, sometimes about the weather, sometimes about their own marriage. When their daughter Alice was born, Maggie decided to give up her job and stay home full-time with the baby. She herself was surprised by the decision since she had always been very career-driven. But when she became a mother, her fundamental sense of meaning of life changed. She found she was willing to undergo great sacrifices for Alice's sake. Now, she wanted to use the savings they had earmarked for a motorboat to go to the college fund. What happened to Maggie happens to many new parents. The experience of having a child is so profound that your whole notion of who you are and and what you value gets reshuffled. At first, Ken was confused by the changes in his wife. The woman he thought he knew was transforming before his eyes, but because they were in the habit of staying deeply connected, Ken was able to keep up to date on what Maggie was thinking and feeling. Too often when a new baby comes, the husband gets left behind. He can't keep up with his wife's metamorphosis, which he may not understand or be happy about. Knowing Maggie had always been a priority to Ken, 
knowing Maggie had always been a priority to Ken, so he didn't he didn't do what too many fathers new fathers do. He didn't back away from this new charmed circle of mother and child. As a result, they went through their transformation to parenthood together without losing sight of other of each other or their marriage. So, once again, a good, a good example of things change, but if you know each other, you can stick together. So, th- this is now practice time. I have some things to hand out. So, so can someone help me hand some stuff out over here? Please? And grab that stack, and thank you. So, this one per couple-ish, this there's probably enough for more than that. <clears throat> so what this is, it's straight out of the book. Um, you'll, on the inside, you'll find a, a single sheet, and then there's a, a little booklet thing. And um, we'll not actually be practicing this during class because we don't have time. We've got five minutes left in, in class today. But um, each chapter in this book that talks about a principle has an assessment to see kind of where you are as a couple on, the, on, that, uh, on that principle, as well as several uh, activities to help you improve that aspect of your, of your relationship. Um, so I, like I said, I don't have time to do this today, but I highly recommend you guys do these assessments and this, uh, this first activity when you guys get home sometime this week. So first of all, this Love Maps questionnaire. It's a true or false thing. There's uh, 20 questions. Each of you independently takes this. There's lots of little smiles and laughters. This is good. It's a good thing, not a sad thing. Um, and so everybody takes, you, you circle true or false, and then you, you score up how you are. And on the back, and there's instructions on here as well how to do this, but on the back it shows the scoring. Ten or higher, it's an area of strength for marriage. Great. And so the activities will probably be uplifting and encouraging to you. Below ten... You could definitely stand to improve someone in this area and um, make, uh, encourage you to, to do the, the uh, activities. But so, like, the, the Love Maps questionnaire has questions on it like, I can name my spouse's best friends, true or false. Um, I like this one. I can list the relatives my spouse likes the least. <laughs> um, my spouse is familiar with my current stresses. I know my spouse's major current worries, things like that. And then you get to the, the questionnaire, and this is a, there are 60 questions in this, in this questionnaire. What you're supposed to do is take 20 at random. Um, you can take the first 20 if you want and make it easy. Uh, but you take the first 20 and sit down together, and, and they each have point values. So a little, you want to see who wins the game. A little hel- healthy competition here. This is in spirit of fun, so no... No spiking the ball in the end zone or anything. Um, but things like, uh, what was my favorite vacation? Uh, what do I do with, what would I like to do with my time off? Uh, five pointer, what is my fondest unrealized dream? Uh, what is my favorite holiday? What's my most embarrassing moment? So you can kind of get the idea. So what, sit down together, do, these, uh, do this activity together, and see who wins the game. And the goal, the thing is, throughout, it's, it's fun to see who wins or whatever. That's, that's fine. But um, the, the goal is to improve the love maps and improve the, knowing each other in all these little tiny little ways. Because over time, it will really, will, will really increase 
how you know each other. And the more you know someone, the, the better you can love them. So I have like one minute to go through this really quick. Yes. So you don't know the answer yourself to some of these questions. If you don't know the answer to yourself and they don't know the answer, uh, you get the point. <laughs> Christy and I, yeah, freebie. Christy and I did this, and like one of the one of the questions is like, "What's my favorite flower?" And I'm like, "I don't know." She's like, "I don't know what my favorite flower is." I'm like, "I don't know. I don't either." Maybe like here's four that I know that you like. She's like, "Those are good." So, <laughs> you know, so, so that that's fine. Um, and don't get too hung up on the rules. It's 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 for fun. So really quickly, uh, I wanted to just mention what these are because they are, they are kind of grouped in the friendship aspect of things. So <clears throat> nurturing fondness and admiration. This, so the first principle is emphasizing on knowing each other, and this is about liking each other. And believe it or not, you can improve how much you like your spouse. Um, it's, liking is not something you just do or don't with, some, with someone you meet. You can improve how much you like somebody. Um, and this is all about focusing on the positive aspects because... Everybody, it, it's easy to focus on the, the, positive, the positive aspects of people sometimes, or actually easy to focus on the negatives, usually. And um, it's not as easy to focus on the positives. So this is about making the weight swing toward the positive side of things overall. <clears throat> Turning toward each other instead of away, um, this, we have hundreds of opportunities to connect with our spouse throughout the day, tiny little things. Things like, little things like, hey, do we have any eggs in the fridge? Turning away from your spouse in this moment sounds like, uh, end of discussion. Turning toward your spouse in this situation is, sounds like, I don't know, let me go check. Or, no, we don't. Do you want me to go run to the store and grab some for you? It's an opportunity to connect. And turning toward someone is over time, really bond you guys together. So, to close out this 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 whole thing, um, there are a lot of myths about marriage out there. Things like you must you must be married to have a fulfilling life. First of all, that's not required. We've been talking about a lot about marriage here because a lot of us in this room are married, but not everybody is, and it's not required to be fulfilled. It's not required to have a relationship with God. So, I don't want that to be a myth that you believe. Another, another myth is that marriages are throwaway things. Um, a good marriage is a marriage with zero conflict in it. Uh, sticking together is all that God really cares about, some things we've, we've kind of hit on already. But the most dangerous myth in my mind is the myth that it is what it is, it can't change things now, or maybe like we're too far gone. Can't fix it. And there's a great, great quote from this book, Loving Your Spouse When You Feel Like Walking Away by Gary Chapman. He says, Unfortunately, many people in desperate marriages base their lives on these commonly unheld myths. Number one, my environment determines my state of mind. Number two, people cannot change. Number three, in a desperate marriage, I only have two options, resigning myself to a life of misery or getting out of the marriage. And number four, some situations are hopeless and mine is one of those. And in fact, all of those statements are false. Those who accept any of the four myths above will act accordingly so that their actions become a part of the problem rather than a part of the solution. What this comes down to is you have to believe 
that things can change or it won't change. Like I said last week, our faith is based on the fact that things can change. Christ redeemed our souls and changed our, our eternities. And he can help us change our marriages as well. And so don't, it, whatever your situation is, if, if your marriage is great, you know, great. Keep working on, still get the book. Work on these practices and these activities. Keep it strong. But if it's not great, it can be. It's not, it's not, the, end of the, it's not the end of the line. It's not over till it's over. So keep, keep all this in mind. Um, we have a lot of great resources. People in this room who have been married many, many years who know how to get through the, the pains and the difficulties. Lean on each other as a family. And focus together on God, I think, is the key. Focus together on, on that common purpose of, of getting to, to heaven together and making that the, the, the goal of your marriage together, and that will help a lot. So... We're going to end there a little bit over time. Thanks for your time, and um, be looking for these books when they when they come in. Thanks.